You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 488. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with the Prime Video series, The Peripheral. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if you were aware of the technical issues with last week's episode. Usually, we release at 2 a.m. on Friday, Eastern Standard Time. I get up, you know, 8, 9 the next day. Uh, and we usually have like 100 downloads at that point. We had seven. So I'm like, all right, something's wrong. I, I don't know. To the best of my knowledge, sometimes the internet doesn't like certain punctuations. And because that title had a question mark at the end, I didn't know if that's what was causing the problem. So I eliminated it, re-uploaded it, and everything seems to be fine. But uh, still... Hmm. what about Dan Bob I was uh I was blissfully unaware of any of these things yeah I figured and and you know appreciate all the listeners that chimed in on the Facebook group that hey I'm using this podcatcher and everything was fine and again I don't know if it was fine you know before I fixed it or whatever so no punctuation this week hopefully we won't have a problem But uh but there you know words that maybe uh maybe the internet won't like because there's some some words in the title are not so great. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, under the uh, well, that's kind of freaking cool. And, and I mentioned this to you in a, in a Facebook message earlier in the week. You know, Michael sends me a message uh, about one of the lead actresses in the current version of Quantum Leap, and says, you know, did you know Caitlin Bassett went to River Hill? I'm like. Um, you know, there's a Caitlin Bassett that's an Australian international athlete. And, and, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And then, you know, since I'm, you know, not one of those people that just believes the first thing I find, uh, you know, it's like Michael was right. Not only was he right, I taught her <laughs> in ninth grade English. Yeah. So she interview, dude. Oh, you know, I thought about that and she's done quite a few interviews, but she currently plays Addison in Quantum Leap. She's the, uh, I guess, the Dean Stockwell equivalent in in the uh, the contemporary version well, of Quantum Leap. Too, I believe. Um, I've only like watched this uh, episode and a half. Well, they're engaged. They're engaged. They're engaged. Okay. Yeah, to to Ben, but she's great, and this is like only her second role, apparently. She w- she went into the military right out of actually she, she, I saw an interview she said she signed up while she was still in high school obviously she didn't begin until she'd already graduated she was an intelligence officer th- three tours uh, I believe in Afghanistan uh, went to law school I'm like oh my gosh well, yeah you know the the traditional path to acting right so, yeah um, but uh, and and you know I, I watched the show. I love her character, and yeah, you know, like you said, maybe we'll get an interview with her. But anyway, that was pretty darn cool. Um, yeah, the that, other yeah, thing, really cool. Yeah. Now the other thing that was really cool, and I know, I, I you know, I thought about you know messaging you this because I knew it would make your week. Again, I'm not sure how we missed it, but Amazon Prime Video announced on October sixth that Outer Range has been renewed for a second season. Sweet. Yeah, I knew that would get you. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, so I liked it. You were lukewarm as maybe overstating it. We, I doubt we'll be doing season two, but I'll be watching well, it. And- I, you know, I will probably watch season two just on the hope that it can't be any worse. <laughs> And that actually maybe things are going to actually happen. They're going to advance the story. And all right, so I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted. But tip of the week, what you're watching. Why don't you go first this time? All right. Well, I want to rescind uh, something I'd said before, which was that I was watching Titans. Well, I can't rescind that because I actually am watching Titans. So I don't know if that's going to continue because – that show is just completely off the rails now. I don't think even the writers know what the hell's going on. Uh, it is just crazy and not not in a good way, Dave, in the very worst way possible of a show that it really seems like they didn't necessarily have a plan for any more seasons. And now they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Wow, that's not good. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I, I believe shit show might be the word to describe the most recent episode. I think, but you know, involving like zombies fighting zombies, which again, I'm good with zombies, but yeah. then they cut the head off, and he just goes and picks up his head and. Plops it back on. It's just like, come. <laughs> like, it's like, so anyway, it, it, I, I, I don't know. I might give it another one more episode, uh, but it's just kind of. But on the other hand, what actually, I, so I, I watched this movie. I, you, well, because it's a movie, so I don't think you've seen it. But uh, I think you like it. Um, I think Mary would like it too because Asa Butterfield is in it and Sophie okay. Turner. It's called Time Freak. And the basic premise is that Asa Butterfield is this really smart physics guy and Sophie Turner is this kind of musician, kind of free-spirited girl, and they date, and it starts off with her breaking up with him. Well, we see, like, in the very first scene that he has some method of, like, rewinding time and trying – so, he, you know, the first scene is really him trying over and over again to come up with the right words to say – so she doesn't break up with him, but you know she still does. So he then comes up with the idea that he needs to go back and start hitting the main problem spots of the relationship, starting with day one and fixing all those to get them back together. So rather than just uh, getting some Jonas Brothers lyrics, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, come on, yeah. I, I don't know what you mean by that, but I'll, I'll just. Isn't she? She's married to one of them. Oh, isn't she? oh, is she? Okay, uh, Sophie I, Turner, I believe yeah, so. I guess. All right. Okay, <laughs> come on. Well, then dude. That would work. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so it was you know while it was not necessarily the greatest, but it was a it was a cute movie. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, you know, Asa Butterfield and Sophie Turner are both fantastic. Um, you know. Uh, they play Americans though, so I'm like, if, if you your two leads are both, why don't you just like have it set in Britain? Maybe I don't know, uh, but it doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're it's fine. They they were both great. They're, they're both characters are extremely endearing, and uh, it was it was a really nice story. And well, not you know, it's, it's not going to be up for any major awards anytime soon. It was 
uh, you know, about 100 minutes of time well spent. So unlike, you know, watching Titans. So. Well, I mentioned last week that I finally got my wife to sit down and give Warrior Nun a shot. And to say she loved it would be a tremendous understatement. She absolutely loved it. She loves the main character, the secondary character. She loved the story. You know, there's a lot of violence, a lot of action, but it's not really gruesome. I mean, it's like, you know, you'll see somebody um, take a sword and whack at somebody and they're like blood droplets kind of go up in the air, but it, it doesn't really look realistic but it's still cool. So I, I really knew she loved it. When we got to the end of season two, I'm like, all right, well, what do you want to watch next? She goes, well, hold on. I'm, I'm watching. I'm like, well, what are you watching? She's like watching YouTube videos of Alba Baptista, who's the, the main character, the warrior nun. She's watching YouTube videos of her doing interviews. I'm like, okay, I guess yeah. you really liked it. Yeah, I guess you liked it. Yeah. Um, the other show, and I think I mentioned this to you, if not on the air, off the air, on HBO Max, White Lotus. Oh, uh, a year ago you did. Yeah, that's I, every every time I have like a break, I like I'm, I'm I almost started again, but um, I started watching Avenue Five. But but I know you did mention that before uh, for season one, like maybe a year ago. Okay, yeah, I mean it's written and directed by Mike White, who you know we know from School of Rock. Uh, for one thing, I'm sure he's written other things, but it's really good. It, season one, and, and this is one of the shows that, you know, we watch season one. And it takes place at this, you know, really exclusive resort in Hawaii and, and follows all these characters. And, you know, it was really good. So we get to season two dropped about maybe well, HBO Max. So it's just one episode a week, which as a podcaster, it's gold as a just a fan. It sucks. But. So, we're, you know, we're like four episodes in. It's like, wait a minute, they're at a different resort. Okay, that's cool. It's in, like, no, I want to say Italy. I think it's in Italy. It's all different characters except for one. Hmm. So we've got a, an entire new cast. It took like 30 seconds to just, you know, right. bond with every one of them. Sure. I know you know Aubrey Plaza from yeah. Parks and Rex. Absolutely and hilarious. One of the yes. funniest women in television, hands down. And she's you know, one of the main characters in this and she's not funny per se, but she's still got that deadpan attitude about her. And I mean, she plays a lawyer in in this, but you know, they're on vacation with a, a couple that, you know, the, the, the two guys, her husband and the other uh, male were college roommates and they're all really successful, you know, multimillionaires. So yeah, it's really, really good. I I can't recommend that enough. So cool. uh, anyway, yeah, we're gonna watch the next episode of that after we're done, and then back to uh, all right. What do we watch now? See, I, uh, I would watch that next, but so you know, I told you I was just gonna keep Paramount Plus for like one month and watch. You know, ah. uh, so I went to cancel. You know, and like, hey, before you go, we can give you the next two months for half price. I was like, ah, all right then. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I think I'll maybe because I, I was gonna, I was thinking about trying to watch Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, but um, uh-huh. I was thinking I don't know. There's too many episodes to get it done in a month. Uh, but, but what were, what were you watching? Picard. Uh, Picard. Yeah, and then okay. I watched uh, Strange New Worlds. Oh, okay. After that, and then um, and I was I went to cancel day, and then they you know they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So ah, uh, got it. 
Yeah, I need to call DirecTV and see if they'll make me an offer I can't refuse, but. Yeah, must we do this dance every year, right? Like, I got to call SiriusXM. It's the same freaking yep. conversation every year. I can't afford it. I'm going to cancel. No, wait, hold on a second. What's your favorite? You know, it's just like this is this freaking dance that we have to do every year. It's just ridiculous. So, but anyway. Yep. All right. I digress. Yep. Well, let's get to the peripheral and, uh, you know, hopefully we can still keep our clean rating. Episode six of season one titled Fuck You and Eat Shit. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> written by Greg Plagerman and Scott B. Smith, directed once again by Vincenzo Natale, released November 18th, 2022. Right off the bat, Fred gives this one a full-on A, and he's been given A-minuses all along, and uh, I've got to agree with him for an episode that, you know, on the surface, there wasn't a whole lot of action. When you sit back and consider everything you just saw, there was a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I don't know if I'd use the word action, but a lot happened. Yes, development maybe is yeah. a better word. That, uh, progress that. in the in the story, yeah. and and a lot of it, you know, is character driven for sure. But we learn in that uh, opening scene in the Texas outback of 2028, and 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 again, it raises the question: Well, who are they fighting? The Texas, so, the Texas. I guess I again. We don't get any real information about who the enemy is. We assume that they are part of the U.S. Army, but uh, we get a sense of the events surrounding Connor's injuries, and it then makes us go back and consider why do Burton and the others feel guilty? What was yeah. this information they had? That would have prevented him, because if that's really what took place, you know the the scene that we saw, there's nothing they could have done. Right. Well, so, Burton was telling him, "I'm going to shoot the dog," and then when he went to go, Burton said, "Don't go." Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think that their guilt comes from a oh I could have done something or better or it was my fault. I, you know, I think the guilt maybe just comes because with the haptics, maybe that they're able to, you know, feel it a little bit more, you know, like they, they're way more in tune with what Connor's going through maybe. So that maybe they should have known he was going to do it and physically stopped him. Well, I or, just think that, that, they, that they feel the lingering effects of it afterwards still. You know, okay. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, one of the things I, I thought of after watching it a second time was, Maybe their their guilt revolves around the fact that one of us should have just shot the dog. When right. it became clear that Connor was having second thoughts about what to do here, we should have just done it and be done with it because it was the right thing to do in that situation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, uh, there's another thing because, you know, Grace told us last week that they had influenced the haptics for all of the team members but burton doesn't seem like his compassion haptics have really kicked in here right well yeah right so maybe he is not as um susceptible to those outside suggestions as the other guys are well that well that's a great point as well and and we still don't even know to what level they influence each individual soldier either. So perhaps they ramp up the empathy 
slider on Connor and lower it on Burton. I mean, so we don't really know, but what we do know, as you just said, we certainly know that Sharice is, you know, playing God, you know, from, uh, I guess from her console in 2099 or 2100 or whenever. No, I guess this would have been uh, 2028. So, so there's also a couple of things that we saw. Well, just uh, before we move on from this scene is that when Connor is running towards the dog, there's a couple of times they shoot to this like video game, first person point of view shot. Um, Yes. And it's like, what's up with that? You know, like, cause I mean, obviously this episode does deal with how, especially the people outside the stub see the stub, not as actual reality, but it's like some kind of like a video game or, you know, like it's, they're not real people, right? It's not like a real thing. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if they purposely did that or just thought it would be cool to throw that in. Definitely had some of that, uh, first person video game vibe going here. Well, yeah, and we've talked about it, and while we certainly suspect this is the case, we don't necessarily have verification that that you know there are parallel stubs. So that, as we've said previously, you know, in in this one, Connor loses his limbs. Who's to say in another one that they don't manipulate the situation to where Burton shoots the dogs, the dog, and they all survive? So. You know, we don't exactly know. But the other thing that comes up, I guess we'll get into it a little bit later, is how long a person can survive in a future peripheral. Because to this point, we've really only seen Flynn travel to the future in a peripheral. You know, in the first episode, it was in Burton's peripheral. And, and, you know, later it's been in hers. But it's always been i mean a matter of hours i guess probably not much longer than that and now connor basically wants to move to the future right and if that means hooking up an iv and a catheter and all that well you know fine i'm willing to i'm willing to pay that price so um, you know it's not an answer we have yet right but But it's an answer has a good point um I, you know, I, I don't think I wrote that, but you know, he basically says, you know, like, I don't know. He's like, I'm not a doctor, but I'm not sure if the human body is really going to be okay with that. You know, and he's, that's a very valid point. But of course, Connor goes back to, you know, if you had, if this was your body every day, you know, what would you want? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great scene with two really disparate characters and, you know, he says to Macon, well, why didn't somebody come out and see if I needed help? He says, well, I think they're scared. Well, aren't you scared? Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, but it's a great scene. And and I think one of the things I, I really appreciate it is that Connor appreciates his difference. You know, that Macon is not the typical you know, young man from this town. He says, you're about as smart as it gets around here. And then, you know, to, to your point uh, from a minute ago, uh, did you, you know, haven't you thought about what it must be like to be me? So wouldn't you make that sacrifice that if my body gives out, then it gives out, but at least I get whatever time 
having my body restored. And, you know, I mean, certainly it's an adventure. He can't even, I don't even think he can, he has a clue of what the adventure will be like in 2100, you know, legs and arms aside. Right. So, you know, but he's going to find out. <laughs> he will. We don't get to see it yet. But, uh, yeah, so, so that's certainly a, a great story. You know, one of the questions I jotted down, what impact is it going to have now that Ash has built Connor and Burton peripherals? Well, we get introduced to a couple of new characters in, in this episode. Not the least fascinating is the inspector, Ainsley Lobeer. And yeah. I'm trying to think like, all right, low beer as opposed to high beer, um, or oh, just, yeah. you know, just light beer, right. um, <laughs> dark beer. Yeah. Uh, now I'm thirsty. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super um, fascinating character, like right from the jump, you know, like. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, she, yeah, and, and I love when she knocks on the door with her deputy or, you know, whatever she is, uh, Beatrice, um, who's also one of the main characters in warrior nun, by the way, sister. Beatrice. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, oh, like the, the, the character named Beatrice, the character. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. she's also she's, a character in the uh, divine comedy. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Um, there's probably a Shakespeare play. that has got one as well. Now that I think about yeah. it, but, uh, anyway, we digress as we, or want to do often, yeah. yeah but the inspector knows a lot and and y- y- you know when wilf and lev are are like freaked out what do we do what do we do and lev says just don't lie because pretty much she already knows the answer to any question she's going to ask you and then when she comes in and says hey you know we know you got three peripherals on site uh you know bring them out and Lev's like, all right, cool. And the operators. And when he says, well, that's a bit complicated. Yeah. And we're like, okay. And we don't get to see him explain it to her. We just see after he's explained it to her, her reaction, which is, yeah, I'm pretty good at complicated. So, um, so what you're telling me is, yeah, that's pretty much what we're telling you. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, mean, I guess like, it's twenty one hundred. You almost figure like she already knows all this anyway. Like why? It's just like her using her power over them to you know. It's you know she could just lay it all out. Say, all right, here's all the shit I know, which basically she does. Um, which, by the way, a lot of the stuff that she says took them like five episodes for them to reveal to us. The inspector just blurts them out in like a minute. But, well, yeah, um, but I don't think she has an idea that there's a portal to 2032. I mean, she knows that they've got peripherals. She knows that those peripherals have operators that are dropping into the body. I just feel as if she assumes that whoever's dropping into these peripherals is from her time. Right. Okay. Yeah, true. But once she's presented with the time travel aspect, it doesn't seem to throw her. I I think it catches her a little bit off guard for a moment. But she's going to get her answers. And, and, you know, at the at the end of, you know, that sequence and uh, and I, I immediately thought of you when um, Burton's out at Connor's and he's leaving, and his phone goes off and, uh, you know, he stops in his tracks, he turns around and says something like, we got to go. London calling. 
I'm yeah. thinking like, there you go. Yeah. Nice, nice clash yeah. reference. Absolutely. So, you know, so, so he's going which, to, which makes me get, it, like a warm feeling that the clash will still be, uh, relevant in, uh, you know, well, there are so many, now. well, there are so many instances. Well, so many, I mean, more than a few in warrior none where, you know, mother superiors, like the most recent one, she, quotes whatever and one of the other nuns says you know ecclesiastes no talking heads and I'm like okay nice. nice but anyway so we don't really see what's going to happen obviously that's we would expect the major part of episode seven now that the three have dropped into 2100 now have to face the inspector you know now what because we don't really know i mean we know that the inspector's there because of the death of daniel and investigating his murder uh, does she work for the research institute we've we've been led to believe that the metropolitan police is an independent organization part of right. that tripod yes. uh, if you will so she doesn't really owe any allegiance to the ri she certainly doesn't owe any allegiance to lev's crime family so, but I, you know, I'm getting the team up vibe here at the end of this, though. You yeah, know? yeah. Now, is it the opportunity to bring down the RI? You know, does she see the RI as as corporation run amok, which obviously happens a lot in futuristic science fiction? So well, it's happening now because you know we know that the RI, the, the stuff, how they're messing with like Connor and and Burton, all those guys in the past. Uh, you know, Grace certainly heavily insinuates that they're doing it to people now. Oh, see, when you said uh, it's happening now, I thought you meant Twitter, but okay. no. not 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 now, 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 no, no. no. Okay, no. I got twenty thirty two now. So um, you know, I, so yeah, I mean, like uh, Sharice before talked about how there are like these three entities that keep each other in check, right? The Met, the Kleps, and the RI. And so, you know, I think that was my question at the end of this. Like, are they going to kind of like team up here? And if so, that's definitely going to swing this balance out of balance, right? Because now two of those three entities that are meant to, you know, check each other uh, are going to be actively working against the third. Right. And, you know, we know that Wilf was geolocated at, you know, the site where Daniel was murdered and she somehow knows that Daniel was murdered by a peripheral. I'm not sure exactly how she knows that, but, you know, whatever. And I say she, we don't know what the inspector's pronoun is, but, you know, we, I don't think we were. Well, the, the, led to, the other girl calls her mom, so. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah, and Fred po- points out a little bit of uh information about the actor in his feedback so well you know we'll listen to that in a little while but you know back to connor for a second because he 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 says in, in that meeting when burton drops by that have you seen me this happy in a long time that prospect of having a body we just have to look at the you know what hope can do for an individual and i think it's fair to say that until Burton and Flynn and and everybody else reconnected with him over you know you know this time travel storyline, 
uh, he was feeling pretty hopeless. And, and, you know, we yeah. see, you know, we saw what his, his home looked like with just trash and beer cans all over the place. And he's got a loaded gun ready to do whatever. So, and then we learn in this episode that apparently when he was first in the hospital, he asked Burton to, you know, basically put him out of his misery and, yes. and whether it was put a pillow over his head, as I, I think one of them mentions, yeah, I, I doubt they were going to get a firearm into Walter Reed um, hospital, but I guess you never know military's military. So uh, sure. regardless, and, and, and yeah, it just speaks to the, the tight knit group that, that this is. And, and, you know, the fact that Burton can joke with Connor about the fact that, you know, I don't think you're going to be growing any limbs anytime soon. Right. Um, and that, um, you know, apparently he wrote something on the wall of his hospital room that he thought would motivate uh, Connor. And, and apparently well, it was that, I think it was that symbol that they, that, that was, MF or. Yeah. That was what was on the, the sheet of paper that he gave Connor that got Connor to come out there in the first place. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. And then we also, the, the initials that we've seen carved on a couple different places, the right. MF, and it's like, um, you know, and he's like, and my mother thinks it means, you know, my friend. And, and Connor, really poignant. Well, isn't that true? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but right. it, 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 he knows it's true. It, it, but it was just kind of a, a nice moment between the, the two friends. Oh, yeah, the, the last thing I wanted to bring up about the, uh, the inspector is when you know the, the, she's talking to Ash and asks about the stub and why do you call it a stub? That sounds so harsh and this and that. And he, Lev is like he can't seem to find the words to explain why they've chosen the word stub. And and Ash just comes in so we can third world it, which I guess implies that we don't have to really care about it. Right. It's that we're yeah. superior. And that's our plaything. Yeah, absolutely. She even okay. says the word imperialism. Right. 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 So, you know, the, the stub is just like a colony. And, you know, back in the day, the colonies were for was, were not, despite what contemporary Britons will, will insist upon, uh, the, the purpose of the colonies back in the day was not the edification and the betterment of the lives of the people in the colony it was to make money for the imperial power right yep and that's exactly how they treat the stub right as a yeah. place to just exploit uh for their own monetary gain yeah and i think one of the things this episode does for me is that it makes me rethink what they're really doing in the stub. I mean, we know what Lev has told us that, you know, his brother owns a pharmaceutical company and, and they're able to test different drugs and pharmaceuticals there without government oversight. And, and fine, not that I disbelieve him, but then we get more, I guess, clarity over why everybody is so concerned. Well, I say everybody, why Sharice is so concerned with Alita and her relationship with Flynn. So it seems as if 
the thought is Alita has downloaded data from the Research Institute into the 2032 stub. Do I have that right? Well, that's the theory that they're working on. Okay. So then the question is, well, what data, why, and into what 2032 device did she download it? Now, we could argue, well, there, there seems to be the ability to stream data from 2100 to 2032, so the technology is not so backward in 2032 that we can't do this. So where is it? So that I, th- I think my takeaway is that Alita has hidden it somewhere in 2032. Yes. To but what it, end? It's got to be, well, I don't know. I mean, got to. It's not necessarily a word that always goes along with science fiction, but we would assume that it was downloaded into something accessible by Flynn, right? Well, you would think, sure. Because, I mean, she was the one that was there. She was the one that was having the information jacked into her head or whatever. Uh, So you'd think it would have to be something that she was hooked up to, or I I don't know. Well, yeah, again, it, it, it's one of these things, is it, you know, information that's going to prevent the Research Institute from ever starting, ever beginning, ever getting a toehold into society and, and perhaps preventing the systems and forms of government that we have currently flawed as they are, um, you know, so is it to that end um is it to prevent you know this future apocalyptic event that we've come to know as the jackpot probably but again we don't know yet i mean certainly we've seen this from shows travelers continuum i'm too off the top of my head where time travelers are going back to try to prevent future catastrophes so anyway well Big surprise, the sheriff delivered Bob to Corbell Pickett. And I don't know that we had a lot of clarity that the sheriff was in Corbell's pocket, but we know that now. And again, you know, Tommy, I like his, you know, when he's having his, you know, brain scan or whatever his uh, intended is doing um you know as he's got that headgear on and she's scanning his brain um i kept thinking she was going to say yeah you know what i'm looking at your brain and it doesn't seem to be anything in there based on what you're telling me you want to do you moron he's like i took worse hits going over the middle in high school like yeah yeah i was like i wrote my notes said every high school football player ever oh my god yeah so uh i think she has the right attitude She's not stupid. Now, we get that he, you know, is a good cop and that he wants to do the right thing and he's not afraid. He's willing to stand up to Corbell Pickett. Dee, on the other hand, knows Corbell Pickett, knows the sheriff, knows the lay of the land, and it's like, you know, you were lucky this time. You may not be so lucky next time. Right. And because... <laughs> Burton says basically the exact opposite of what is going to, you know, de- deter a man like Tommy. Right. You know, like, hey, just sit this out. You're not up for this. 
You know, like that is definitely not going to fly. I mean, all. yeah. So I, we talked about it last week. At what point does Tommy get read in? And I think we were convinced that this was going to be the week he gets read into what's going on. And, and Burton, to his credit, is able to delay once again. So for how long? I'm starting to feel like Tommy may not survive the season. I think a show like this, you got to be willing to, you know, put some of your characters at real risk. And while they're not going to put Flynn or Burton or Wilf at risk, at real risk, um, you know, somebody like Tommy, I think really could go down pretty heroically. And I'm going to be disappointed because I think he's a great character. And I, I, I feel like I want to see that scene where he is brought into the fold, but I fear we're not going to get that far. So, yeah, yeah I, I still am not a hundred percent convinced. You know, like I said last week, I think, you know, which obviously are two pretty obvious choices is either he's going to join in the, uh, the mystery machine crew here, or he's going to get killed and die the the innocent victim, quote unquote. Yeah, you know, the only thing that would make me say that I don't think he's going to die is just it seems too obvious right now. Like if I were the writer for this, I'm like, we're totally setting it up for Tommy to get popped. So let's not do that. You know. But but on the other hand, you're right that uh, we haven't really seen, you know, consequences. Right? We haven't really seen. I don't know. Has anyone been killed? I don't think anyone. Well, except well, for the twelve guys who came to try and kill Burton and Flynn in, in episode two. Who knows? But I I I, I still feel like I'm solidly going to say it's going to happen one of those two ways. I'm going to take my stance. Okay. Um, now, th- the one scene that I have a lot of problem with, okay, and and that is at Corbell's house, and 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 it's a great scene. You know, they've they've got Bob there in his, you know, sitting at the chair unconscious, and we see the collar right away, and you know, hey, we know exactly what that is. Although I will say, at first, I thought it was going to be one of those explosive collars, like. Uh, We've seen in some science fiction shows that if you run, boom, they just blow your head off. Um, right. No, that's just uh, to shock him back into compliance. But that scene where Corbell is explaining why you're sitting there, why you're still alive, because I want to know who's fucking up my brine. And of course we know it's somebody from the future and, and, you know, it's like, are you the one that, that hired me? And well, no, I mean, we know that, but Corbell's still trying to get the lay of the land in, in this case. But what really gets me is it's virtually impossible for me to believe that Corbell would leave his wife alone with Bob. I don't care, you know, what that collar right. can do. Well, especially and, since the the effectiveness of the collar is dependent upon someone operating the remote. Yes. So you don't get 
anywhere near him physically, you don't I, – look, I wouldn't have even given him a fork and a knife. I would have said just tear it apart with your fingers and teeth. You know, it, in Corbell's defense, does you know, like we don't know if he fully appreciates how unbelievably dangerous Bob is. Well, that could be because I guess on the one hand you could say, well – you know, he didn't really carry out what his mission was. Now, we know that, as you said, in Corbell's defense, he doesn't really know what Bob's mission was at this point. I think right. he has a sense that it was to take out the fishers. Well, kill the fishers, right? Yeah. Right, right. So that then begs the question, who wants the fishers dead? And, you know, I, I'm not sure that Corbell would shed many tears to find the fishers Swimming with the fishes. Oh, couldn't resist that one. That was terrible. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you, you do see it. I feel like even more strongly the more I think about this because this, of how he just acts around Bob. He just, he, like, he doesn't, he, you know, he feels like he is in control, right? And he he just doesn't, I, I like I said, I, I, I feel like he just does not 100% understand who he's dealing with here, because if he did, he would not. Yeah. Well, one, he would definitely lock him up someplace and not just have him running around the collar, you know, which is like the, the biggest James Bond, bad guy type, you know, motif ever. And, um, and, and, and not that I'm sure Mary can handle herself. She's, but still, if he had any inkling of how incredibly dangerous Bob was, he wouldn't stay alone with him himself, let alone leave his wife with him, you know? Well, but he knows he's a paid killer. Now, there are paid killers and there are paid killers. So, you know, we saw Bob at the bar, so we know his skill level. So it's a fair point that had he known you know, really what Bob was all about. But my point is, well, you should take precautions. I mean, you don't have a guy, you know, one of your muscle that you can't leave in the room with your wife yeah. watching. Him. I mean, Jasper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I anyway, just wonder I, what Jasper does period, because Jasper insists he doesn't do anything with the drugs or anything. So like, so what do you do Jasper? Like, yeah, that's a good point. You know? Yep. So uh, he didn't call you up to watch Bob. That's for sure. Now, the last thing I wanted to bring up, uh, you, you know, Flynn confronts Wilf and we get some, again, some more clarity on what's actually the reality in 2100. And I had mentioned, I don't know if it was in the first episode, maybe the second episode that I wonder if it was a digital enhancement, which is what it turns out to be. And again, I love the whole, just rub your index finger and thumb like this. And suddenly all the people go away. Yeah, I'm not really seeing the nuance of these little movements. It seems like they're all basically the thumb and, and like forefinger, <laughs> you know, it's like, it looks yeah. like the exact same thing every time. So, I mean, how much nuance of move, I guess there is yeah, a lot I guess. of nuance of movement in, in, yeah. in there, but you know, to me, it looks like the exact same thing all the time. So. What I've got to ask now, because when we see the reality of 
the buildings and, and the state of the buildings. Well, what actually happened in the jackpot? Uh, again, it, it's got to be more than just some sort of a pandemic that it, it appears as if many of the buildings are partially destroyed and they haven't gotten around to rebuilding them yet as as wolf points out to flynn so what kind of a war was this so again you know they don't need to tell us everything at once we'll you know we'll we'll figure it out as we go along right. or we'll, but, we'll but be that was something before that we said oh well london seems to be in pretty good shape like yeah know, whatever apocalypse it was and like oh nope jk it was yep. all uh, is all illusion it's it's actually uh looks pretty bad and then that that scene when you know the they're uh, flynn and wilf that is they are trying to track down alita and the lead that he's got is you know i guess you know some sort of a part from her peripheral and he knows you know the 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 guy that builds these things on the black market, and they go there, and he's got his little what toad in the hole or whatever, which is the the code. And uh, you know, obviously, you know whether they're husband and wife or not, we don't know. Um, the 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 butcher and the, the so woman they run that, a tough establishment, man. Boy, no kidding. Like you were um, the wrong thing. Like the lady but, just pulls a knife out. But but several things strike me here. Does Wilf not have any fighting skills? Because he just leaves her to fight both of them. Yeah. And both of them are pretty skilled in their own rights. So yeah. I, he just sits back. And in a couple of instances, when Flynn will execute a particularly devastating move, it's like this little smile creeps over him. And then when she tells the one guy, you can start talking or you can start cutting. You know, implying that, tell me what I need to know. I'm not, you know, cut your artery. I think she's got a knife held at his, you know, one of his arteries. So, and, and he gets this look on his face. Uh, but the other thing is this idea, and we get a little bit more information about neoprims. Not exactly. I mean, I, I'm still a little fuzzy on what a neoprim is, but apparently Alita is one. And it seems as if they are, you know, a group that wants to revert to the past, the past technologies, maybe. Um, I'm not, you know, that that line, who else but a neoprene would know how to do that? In other words, you know, replacing an AI eye with a human eye, old time surgery and a scalpel. So... You know, I don't know. Again, what is Alita up to? What is this data transfer that she's done? What? Yeah, so I don't know. It was a great scene. I I, I really love the the interplay, and and really, it's just Wilf standing there watching Flynn take on both yeah. of them, but he's enjoying himself. And you know, we've talked about all right, are we going to ship these two or not? All right, fine. Yeah, I'm still on board with that, but I just love his reaction to not only what she does, but also what she says. So, you know, I, th- I think if nothing else, Wilf realizes this young woman's pretty damn sassy. So anyway, that's all I got. Yeah, well, you know, just to that, you know, I mean, I think that's probably one besides like, I mean, the really good choreography and everything. 
But I think a big point of that scene is that, you know, like kind of like girl power, right? Like yeah. you know, Wilf just hangs back and now obviously he is not a peripheral, so you know, cut me and I bleed, right? Like if he gets stabbed in this fight, uh he can't just, you know, he doesn't wake up in the chair somewhere. He that's that's his actual body that's gonna get hurt. So I understand him kind of stepping back and letting the the person in the super enhanced uh, piece of machinery do the work, uh, but on the other hand, it is the a woman doing the fighting while the guy uh, hangs off to the side and you know it's kind of like a little uh, stereotypical role reversal here, which I like that. Yeah, because if Flynn didn't have these skills, which she clearly learned from gaming, it, it's not as if the peripheral she's dropped into has these onboard fighting skills at least you know i don't see any you know evidence to make me believe that so these are her skills that she's bringing to this peripheral so and and you know you you mentioned that and that's one of the things not to go off on a tangent that i love so much about warrior nun is that you know this girl power but it's it's not just you know a couple it's this whole team and and just you know that the interplay and then of course the fact that they're nuns is just you know right. uh even better but uh <laughs> all right what else well just there's a this kind of theme of of trauma that has been kind of running through the the show the whole time and of course mostly we see it through um through connor i through guess through connor but yeah. now we see Tommy, as you know, Dee Dee is checking him for the concussion. Uh, he has a flashback to the accident, and he kind of does that kind of jump, like like Connor did as well. We see that there's a an impact on on the human mind that these things are having, right? Like it's it's not like there's no consequences here. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly, I, I don't think we're done. With that, I, I I think on on the one hand, now that Connor has a body, and he's in twenty thirty two, and you know how he's going to react. I mean, last time you know, we saw him, he was running and jumping and not really, you know, doing what he's supposed to be doing. So we'll we'll see if he understands the ramifications of, of this, and, and that right. uh, as opposed to keeping you know the trauma that that you've gone through in the back of your mind so that you don't make a similar mistake again yeah yeah absolutely well and and in kind of this theme of trauma I mean, we see leon kind of you know draining away some of that trauma so that connor's able to sleep i mean we see like how absolutely traumatic it is i mean leon is like screaming and there's the actually one shot in there where he leon reaches for his leg and it's not there so right. you know he's which we know that he is actually integrating connor's actual experiences here not just on a superficial level but he's feeling it uh really deep down and, and that shot was kind of like a reinforcement of that that how much Pre- how present this this his kind of experiences are that you know he actually you know is, sees that he has no leg just like Connor. All right. 
I mean, well, yeah, and again, just that, that whole scene with the, the inspector and the, the Columbo of it all, um, you know, uh, but she's just totally two steps ahead of them. You know, Lev, we talked about Lev as kind of like the spoiled rich kid, and he's just almost like, well, call my daddy's lawyer, you know, but, uh, but you know, the one thing is that they, you know, the, the inspector says, well, you can do that. Wilf will be dead in seven minutes. You know, so like, unless justice. he cuts a deal, unless he cuts a deal, right? right? Because she that whole idea of, uh, um, you know, which is what's going on in America right now. They're uh, now we can prosecute you, and you can go to federal prison, or you can tell us what uh, your boss was doing on January sixth. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we get a sense of just that that ability to try and execute someone in seven minutes. Yes, it's just really kind of like I mean that's that's pretty scary type of of power that they have there as as well as the fact that they seems like they know where everyone is all the time and they can track everyone. So how do they even do crime? Right. How does crime even happen? Yeah. I mean, right. So um, I thought a really poignant scene was i think it was oh yeah it was between connor and burton when burton brings him the futuristic legs and connor's basically like you know i always felt like that is more for y'all than for me and i'm like oh you know so like he well he's not thrilled he he doesn't need to put on like a a a happy face to the outside world right um for him to walk around on legs would make other people more comfortable around him it wouldn't make him any more comfortable around anyone else. Yeah, but it might make his life a little bit easier from a physical standpoint, but I don't know. He doesn't seem to think so. Yeah, right, right. Well, that's true. That's true. And I think that's uh, probably about it. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us in listener feedback, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Fairy Feral Season 1. Episode 6. Let's start with the grade before I forget it. This is a straight A and I even considered an A+. And that's because of the personal interactions. And then I mainly mean the interaction between adversaries. Sometimes stuffed with metaphors. So I take the discussion between mainly Flynn and the Butcher... The way how Pickett talks to Bob with the whole metaphor about how to get his meat tender. The role his wife plays in that. This Mary Pickett reminds me a little bit of Patricia in Outer Range, which was also a tough uh, gangster woman, but more or less. And then, of course, later the interaction between Bob and Mary Pickett with the aquarium. And I, of course, loved the talk about the aquarium. I have 10 tropical aquaria in my house, ranging from 25 liters to 500. So that would be 6.5 to 135 or something like that gallons. And there are a lot of inaccuracies in that 
thing about that aquarium. She is talking about, so Mary, several fish that are not really in that aquarium, which are very tiny fish. So, for instance, she's talking about long-tailed guppies. Well, they are not much larger than the last segment of your little finger. And about cherry barbs, well, they are not much larger than the last segment of your thumb. And I have the impression the whole aquarium is digitally blown up because some of the fish I even have myself are much larger there than uh, in reality. Why don't they pay much more attention to these kind of details? It would be so easy. I'm always getting very annoyed by these things. Also like a lot of medical stuff that is just inaccurate. So let's get on with the interactions. Uh, very nice and actually the best of the whole episode was the interaction between the inspector, Ainsley Lobier and Lev Zuboff. And also somewhat with Wilf and Ocean, the kind of servant there. That whole scene, that whole interaction earns an A-plus on its own. The actress who plays Inspector Lobeer is so intriguing, so interesting in the sense of gender fluidity. It's really between woman and man and also her costuming contributes to that, which is Marvelous, by the way, especially with this asymmetrical suit, which seems a little bit to be the newest sci-fi trope, because we also see that in Star Trek The Strange New Worlds. So the actress who plays this role is Alexandra Billings. She is a transgender woman, got her transition from man to woman already in 1980. So she was a male became a female, has now a role as female, but in a kind of male-like costuming. She plays her role so well that your initial gender confusion immediately goes away and is not important anymore at all because you're really focused on what she says and the interaction with Lev. Impressive was that Leon could take over a little bit of Connor's stress via their haptic connection. And the scene with Ash constructing the peripherals for Connor and Burton was, of course, very Westworld reminiscent and a little easy in the sense of you just move your fingers a little bit over a kind of computer mouse in a in a globe form, etc., and you just construct a peripheral. Okay, so far my feedback for the peripheral episode 6. Looking also forward to 1899, a Jan Friese and Baron Boadar series, as, nah, not a follow-up on Dark, but the next big series they made. And even my wife just saw on Netflix that series, and... Wants to watch it, so perhaps we can watch that together. Uh, perhaps she even can give a little feedback, I don't know. Well, actually, of all the series I gave feedback to for Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, the only series she watched is Tribes of Europe. She does watch with me Star Trek, but that is not a Sci-Fi TV Rewatch podcast. So we will see what will happen. That was all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. For some reason, I wrote in my notes that Fred gave this a B plus, but he gave it an A, didn't he? Yeah, he gave it a full on A, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't know why I wrote B plus, but 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with Fred on the grade. I, I thought, well, you know, A minus. I'll be like, no. The combination of dialogue, as he points out, the interplay between and among adversaries, the tightly constructed action sequences, just there just it has everything that i wanted in an episode so i'm going a yeah i think so too i was thinking a minus at first but after talking about it, i'm like you know what 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 is there in this episode that i could grade it down there's yeah. there's nothing um and if anything i would grade it up because they introduced a absolutely fascinating character who just stole every single scene that she was in so you know i, I think it, it certainly deserves an a and, uh, you know, I, I would just say that uh, hats off to Fred for keeping fish. We, we have like a small aquarium that when my kids were little, we tried to have fish and we just killed so many fish. Like not yeah. purposefully, but just we just could not keep the aquarium as a place that fish would were able to survive in. I don't, I don't know. We just, I finally I just gave up. I'm, just, I'm sick of, of killing fish. Like I'm not, I'm just going to pack up this aquarium and 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 everything because I just, uh, it's it's just so sad going through this. Get a lizard, reuse right, the uh, right. aquarium. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. Now the other thing Fred pointed out, and and while I certainly paid a lot of attention to Inspector Lowbeer's suit and and how cool it was, and we talked about how. You know, the cars and the vehicles are all pretty much what we're used to in 2022. The clothes, certainly in 2100, not so much. And, you know, they've really done a nice job with that. You know, both Charisse and Inspector Lowbeer, you know, have this really heightened style. I mean, somebody like Wilf and, and Lev, what they're wearing would be fine. I don't think people would really be you know, super surprised to see that in 2022, but there are elements of it that it's like, okay, yeah, that that's cool. But he points out that her suit was asymmetrical, which I didn't notice that. And he points out one of the Star Trek shows, I forget which one he said, uh, that, that a character or characters in that show do that as well. But regardless, the, you know, the costume designers were, were, uh, it was a super you know, cool gosh yes absolutely full on a plus for that for sure so all right anyway um anything else about fred's feedback uh, i don't think so okay all right fred thank you you know he mentions 1899 and and you know you and i have said that we're planning to do that once we're finished with the peripheral it's dropped have you watched any of it i haven't because you know like everyone gets all you know, pissed off at me if I watch ahead. So I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna go ahead and, and watch it one episode at a time. Then my my son has been watching it, and he says it's awesome. Now I watched the first one, and that's all I've watched. And on the one hand, uh, you know, maybe it's role reversal, you know, for the two of us. Uh, but really, why I stopped was I felt like I was going to say to my wife, well, I am going to say to my wife, that I think you might want to check this show out. She really liked Dark season one, watched an episode or two of season two, and then just lost interest. Uh, 
which is mind-boggling to me, but but whatever. So as I told her, I'll just say this. I don't think there's any big spoiler. Episode one of 1899, heavy-duty mystery. My wife said, well, is it science fiction? You know, not so far. And and as you you and I have said uh, on the podcast, I mean, if it turns out to not be even remotely sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, or horror, then we'll rethink, you know, whether we're going to go, you know, the full season, but, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So, right. anyway, all right, well, I guess that is a good spot to leave it, and we want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Uh, thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the peripheral. If you've gotten started with 1899, no spoilers, please. Uh, check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can contact us. And we'll be back next week to talk about episode seven of the peripheral. But until then. You know, Dave, um, why don't you think on that for a bit and we'll have this conversation again. 